0: Praise the Lord, everybody. Welcome to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you have taken the time to join in with us today. I trust that you are enjoying the great favor and blessing of God where you are. I have good news. The summer is winding its way down, and fall rapidly approaches, and that. Ladies and gentlemen, is the will of God here at the Biblos Network? I'm not sure about where you are. There are some people who are very confused in their hearts and love hot, humid weather, but then there are others of us that know that heaven's probably going to be cool and crisp for those that love it. <laughs> so, I love the fall weather. God's been good. It's been a busy, busy week. So many good things happening. Who? Where to begin? Um, new people baptized, new people received the Holy Ghost, people being discipled. The grace of God is just being poured out in so many places. Thank you for all the reports that you send to me of revival where you are. And yeah, there's many of you that are teaching home Bible studies, and that makes my heart so happy. I was just recently, uh, where was I at? I was in Porter, Texas, with Pastor Joel McCoy. And. a a woman stopped me and was talking with me and she said, thank you so much for Biblos. And then she said, thank you for line upon line, the line upon line Bible study. Um, We have utilized it. It's helped us. It's helped us grow in our awareness of how the scriptures put together. And she made my night. That is precisely why we built Biblos was to help people understand the language of the prophets, the power of metaphor, the power of, the Hebrew language written in word pictures and so thank you to everybody that was so kind on my recent trip where I I, I preached in Texas and uh, Mississippi and now back home to Durham and tonight I'm preaching at the Tabernacular de Vida um, Vamos por Mas conference. I'll be preaching that with Brother Julio May, Brother Ari Prado. I'm looking forward to that. So God's just doing great things. He's doing great things. Um, And if you want to know how to teach Bible studies, if you want to know how I recommend teaching Bible studies, of course, you may already know, or you may have your own method, but we do have a method here at Biblos, and we like to share it with people. If you go to the playlists here on the Biblos Network, you'll see Biblos, Biblos Español, Biblos French Creole, Um, you'll see various playlists, and towards the bottom, you'll see the line upon line Bible study. Take the time to look at that. It is a walk from Genesis to the New Testament and it shows you Jesus in the Old Testament. How how you can, like Jesus did, you can open people's understanding to all that is in the prophets and the Psalms regarding himself. That's how Jesus taught it. That's how we think it should be taught. And we have had great success with denominal people. And people that are coming out of the reformed Christian world into the truth of the x 238 message. it is a great, great time to be apostolic. so with that being said, um, I have a little bit of a limited time tonight because we have we have a conference at our Spanish church with Pastor Galindo, and I'm excited about that, and so'm i going I want to move quickly. God was talking to my heart this week, and I, I wanted to read. Portion of scripture found in Psalms chapter 26. This is where David said this, Psalms 26 and one. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my reins in my heart. And beautiful verses, Psalms that will help you. A lot of things spoken about here. I won't read the whole chapter. Um, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I will wash my hands in innocency. Verse six. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord. I want to publish with the voice of thanksgiving. I want to tell of all thy wondrous works. Verse eight, where it, I want to direct your attention. He starts to say, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners nor my life with bloody men in whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, be merciful unto me. And verse 12 is the phrase I want to grab for this session. I want to speak briefly on it. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. My foot standeth in an even place. One of the chief traits of the psalmist and the administration of King David is that he was known as the greatest king Israel ever had. In a natural sense, obviously Jesus notwithstanding. David, King David, the greatest king. It It was David that established Jerusalem. It was David that was the man after God's own heart. Not perfect by any means, but God loved him and said, I will raise up from your seed one to sit upon my throne forever. And prophetically speaking, the Bible says that David will sit upon the throne forever. And that's a poetic and prophetic way. Of saying that the lineage of David to God the lineage of David which is Jesus Christ ultimately Jesus Christ is in God's eyes the seed of David the flesh of David the family of David and to God that is David sitting on the throne there are hyper that believe that David's actually going to come up out of the ground and be resurrected and physically sit on the throne I could not disagree with that more but um, I believe that Jesus Christ is that incarnation of, of God's spirit in flesh. And the Bible says in Romans 1 that he's the son of God according to the spirit, but he's, a, he's the seed of David according to the flesh. And that, that time period that David reigned is the golden era. Of Jerusalem, it's it's the era of prosperity, it's the area, it's the era of dominion. Now, I, I want to say something about dominion. There are some people who believe in a doctrine called dominion theology. That is a false doctrine. Dominion theology is a terrible false doctrine. It is a, it's kind of like the charismatic movement. They they took a word, dominion, and they hijacked it, and that's what the charismatics did. They took the word charismatic and charisma, the the Greek word, charis from which we get charity, they hijack that word into an emotion-driven, expressive worship with with no doctrinal underpinnings. And it's, it's, a, it's a great distortion of the word of God. Well, people have done that with dominion. So we believe in blessing and taking dominion in one city. But dominion theology actually teaches that The church is going to take over the whole world and we're going to take over worldly institutions. We're going to take over Hollywood. We're going to take over politics. We're going to be the presidents of the United States and all of those things. I, I I do not subscribe to that. I do not believe that dominion theology um, says that you have to stop living separate, integrate with the world and start to take over the world. And what happens is they just get assimilated by the world and they lose their distinctiveness and there's no more church left. That's not what the scripture teaches, but it does teach dominion in and of itself. That means that you and I are to be a force in our community. Paul was a force in his communities that he visited. Paul was was a powerful force for good and change in the communities that he was in. and He did not do it through the existing political regimens and the, the existing pol- political structures and Uh, things of that nature. He did not use the Sanhedrin. He didn't use the Pharisees to accomplish his purpose. Paul used the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the same thing that will happen with us. Through the gospel, the weapons of our warfare, we will be agents of change in the earth to a degree that will surprise people. I believe the church will have great end-time revival and a great time frame of dominion and blessing that they operate in. Um, David personifies this and he said of that, there are many things that can trip me up. Those same things can trip you up. There's evil men. There's bloody men. Deliver me from them. I don't want to be part of the congregation of the evil and the dissemblers who who walk with mischief and who's in their right hand they have bribes. In their right hand they have mischief. So David is winding his way through all of the machinations of men that trip up people that that grab power and that hold people captive spiritually. And it's a wrong leadership. It's a It's a carnal leadership. It's a carnal administration. Many times God's people suffered under carnal administrations. King Saul is probably the biggest example and is, is ready at hand in the story of David. And Saul was all about bribes and he was all about mischief and he was all about manipulation. David, in all of that said, I love thy habitations. I love the house of God. I want to wash my hands in innocency and I want you to examine my heart. There's a lot of introspection and a lot of self-examination that comes to men and women who love God and pursue God and then he says this phrase my foot stands in an even place. It is critical that you have a balanced level approach to the things of God. One of the One of the traits of the wicked is that the Bible says their ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Another place, it called them raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. It's waves up and down, up and down, crashing, foaming, liquid, unable to be established. If you see someone that is in church one week, out of church the next week, ready to give God all they've got in the pits of despair two weeks later because somebody they wanted to date doesn't like them. (laughs) The devil's attacking them. They got to give up. And it's a trait of the wicked. Finding the even place. I love leaders whose feet stand in the even place as conservative people as as a separated people apostolics are known for several things our women they don't they don't cut their hair our men we do cut our hair we we attempt and try to and strive to dress modestly we we reject hollywood and all of the all of the mores and the cultural norms that it tries to establish. We believe that men are to be male and women are to be female and we believe that they should dress accordingly. Hair is one of the great distinctions that distinguish a man and a woman and dress is one of the main characteristics of a man and a woman. So there, there are prohibitions against Cross-dressing in the Bible. Genesis 22 and 5. A woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now there's a host of people that get very angry with that verse. Try to dismiss that verse. But now we're living in a time where because women cut their hair short and they wear pants, um, they are mistaken for men. You can't tell them apart in many cases. And men grow their hair long and wear dresses, and they have the appearance of women. And this is a shock to our society. But I, I would say that that our foot was taken out of step, out of alignment. We declined somewhere along the way. You can see this decline in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one tells us that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God and neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. They changed the truth of God into a lie. Um, they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Women began to burn in their lust one towards another. Men with men did the same and they they distorted things. And this is the degenerate downward trajectory of people that are walking downhill. You know, the Bible, people, Bible teachers have said this for years. It's very true. When, when the Bible describes people that forsake the will of God, like with Sodom and Gomorrah a lot, he begins to lean towards Sodom. He begins to decline, walk into the valley towards Sodom and Gomorrah. When Jonah forsakes the will of God and he flees to go to Tarshish, he goes down, 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 down. You you count how many times the word down is used in Jonah's rebellion against God. Finally, you find him at the bottom of the ocean, and you don't get much more down than that, brother. So that's what happens when a man or a woman leaves the presence and purpose of God. And David said, I love your house, I love your presence. And I want my foot to stand in an even place. Let me administrate your kingdom evenly. Let me operate with equal parts of mercy and compassion, but also judgment and righteousness. And how to describe this? You know, If, if I'm out of balance, I'm too hard. I'm, I'm critical oftentimes mean people who try to focus on righteousness at the expense of mercy, they hurt people. They, they treat them cruelly. They, they, they shun them you know, in the Amish community. When you have transgressed in the Amish community and you've gone against the elders and are in rebellion, they practice a, um, a way of living where they employ a tactic called shunning. They shun you. You are not to be spoken to. Um, you are not to participate. You are not to come to any functions. It's as though you are not alive. I'm so glad God didn't shun me. I'm so thankful God had mercy on me. The Bible says that mercy rejoiceth against judgment. When mercy and judgment meet, mercy is to have the preeminence. At the same time, you don't want to be so merciful that you don't draw firm lines. And so we do have lines that we employ in our lives. We have boundaries that we set. We dress modestly to the best of our ability. We cover our bodies. Um... I, I, I have lines that I draw in my life, life and you have lines that you draw in your life. And I pray that those lines are in an even place. Do those lines make you absolutely holy and righteous and better than anybody else? No. And if you're looking at it that way, then your foot's not in an even place. But I do, we do teach the covering of the body. So we will wear sleeves below our elbow. We will, we will wear, men will wear pants. Women will draw, wear dresses below, well below their knee. Uh, it won't be so tight as to reveal the body and uh, necklines won't reveal the body cavity and so on and so forth. These are common sense things that used to be very, very prevalent in our society. Now, because people have allowed themselves to be knocked out of alignment and their foot, like David said, my foot had well nigh slipped. <laughs> um, now, people get very angry when when you try to set any boundaries. And here's something for people who wonder why different churches have different boundaries. You know, when the Bible describes modest clothing, it doesn't tell you exactly what modest is. So part of that is costly array. What is costly array? And there's that raging battle about what costly array is. But clothing should be modest in terms of cost and in terms of, of glorying in the things of men. And there's there's ways of looking at that. Some people think that if you wear anything nice at all, then you are being immodest. The Amish make their own clothes, and they're forbidden to use any elastic. They can't use any strings to pull their clothing. Um, that's a sin. And so they just wear suspenders, and their their overalls just kind of hang there. <laughs> that's how they do it. The Jews have their way of doing it as well, um in the apostolic world we are much more integrated into modern society but there are people that think that if you have a nice thing then that is immodest um i would say i would rather have one nice thing that costs more um than five cheap things that fall apart the first time you wash them or that are made with inferior materials by the time you've bought five of those cheap things the one nice thing has endured and lasted and lasts for many years. I do believe in quality. And I think sometimes a lot of people operate out of um, small mindedness with that. But at the same time, there are people who go out and buy things way beyond their means, way beyond their ability to keep up with the Joneses and to give off airs and to look like there's some big thing. And so people can say, look at you, look at you, look how amazing you are. And that's wrong. That's not of God. That is not how God's people operate. And that is not modest. So I've got to find the even place. I have to find the even place. There are people that, that cannot afford things. I would say that if, if you're going to be purchasing clothes, save your money. Don't go to Starbucks. Learn to invest. Learn to do business. Learn to better yourself and save to buy something good that lasts. I believe in doing that. I think it's an investment in oneself. And then there is the body itself and and the fact that it is reserved for a husband and a wife and so we don't display our bodies. And so we we draw lines. Where those lines are differs. And in the scripture, and this was actually mentioned on Kingdom Speak, shout out to Kingdom Speak, um, Plaster Rock, Pastor McKillop and the great Kingdom Speak crew, we love them. Amazing amazing insights into the word of the Lord um, they pointed out something one of the recent episodes it was a very good point that God told Moses to set a boundary I believe this was with Kelly Patrick in a session with him set boundaries around the mountain lest the people break through and die he didn't say where the boundary was he told Moses to set that boundary and so the leaders in each assembly are going to be dealing with things that are, that are critical to that assembly. And that pastor is going to be setting lines as best he knows how to, to draw lines for God's people. Um, there are some people that feel that modest clothing is clothing that goes to their wrists. Some people feel modest clothing comes below the elbow. Some people believe modest clothing is to the middle of the upper arm. And some people believe modest clothing is running around with no shirt on. (laughs) I guess the guy in swimming trunks is modest in a nudist colony. If you just want to take it that far. Modesty is relative depending on who you're with. And, and, and there is a scriptural dynamic there that we're looking for. And so representing God's people, we fight for modesty and we fight to do it in an even place. That doesn't make me better than anybody. It doesn't make me holier than anybody. It means that I'm setting a line. I'm setting a boundary in my life, and I won't pass that line lest I transgress God's word, lest I set a bad example and a bad precedent. Now, because denominations did not do that and they lost their line, if you go to mainline denominational churches today, you won't find them dressed in their finest clothing, um, And that is in itself a great battle. There are people that think that's self-righteous. They get very angry because we wear a jacket and we put on a tie. But we feel like we should bring our best. What is your best? Well, it's the best you have. Do the best you have. My great-grandfather used to go to the Salvation Army. And get he loved it because for five cents, ten cents, you could get an entire suit. He loved the United States of America because he could come out of the rags that he wore in the Middle East and he could put on a suit for five or ten cents. And this was such a land of prosperity, he couldn't believe how wonderful this land was. And he wanted to bring his best to Jesus Christ. Now, am I trying to say that you have to wear a suit to go to heaven? Of course not. There are people that come, we say, come as you are. Bring the best that you have. If if the best that you have is is flip-flops and basic clothing, then come to church. But I do believe that God is going to take you from that point and bless you and increase you and turn you into a son of God, a daughter of God. And if you would put on nice clothing to meet the President of the United States, how much more? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We believe that coming to the house of God is a great honor. It is a great privilege. And we do. We still wear the best clothing that we can to give honor to the King. Um, now sometimes men come from work, come straight from work. Women come straight from work. They come as they are. That's fine. We're not rigid. We're, are, we're trying to stand in an even place. Now in mainline denominational churches, everybody's in tank tops, shorts, flip flops, drinking soft drinks. There was one church that a friend of mine purchased in, um, a certain state and they purchased it from a denominal church and when they took it over the the carpet was sticky from soda and lattes that had been that were drank in the sanctuary they had to, they had to rip all the carpet out because the smell was so bad in the sanctuary they they would sit there and eat popcorn and drink sodas and drink lattes while the preaching was going on while they were being entertained and so churches mainline denominational churches they work their way to the lowest common denominator in a desperate appeal to get people just to come. Please come. Come as you are. And they they throw this line out there. God doesn't care what's on the outside. He only cares what's on the inside in a man's heart. And they get that from Samuel where he comes to Jesse's house and he sees David. He doesn't choose the older brothers. He chooses David. And then Samuel says, God does not look on the outward appearance of a man, but he judges the heart of a man. And it is true. God does see the heart of a man. It does not mean that God does not look upon the outside. He does. The Bible says that God knew Cain's countenance had fallen. Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? God was looking at his facial features that were indicative of his anger and his wrath. And he knew he was close to killing Abel. Sin lieth at the door. Some translations translate it, it croucheth at the door. Almost like it's feline with muscles coiled, ready to pounce. I believe that there's a devil ready to pounce on this new generation and to wipe out consecration, to ultimately eliminate the church. How are we going to find the line between bringing our best and, and, and loving new people as they come to God and teaching people to bring their best to God? In the scripture, they were forbidden to bring a lamb that was maimed or that was broken or torn. And if they were poor, they would bring a turtle dove. They would bring what they could. You bring what you can according to how God has blessed you. But we do strive for the best, and and we do it in a context of grace and love. You know, I think probably one of the great tells of godly men and godly women is that people run toward them. You know, when, when Jesus was leading the multitudes, the multitudes thronged him. He wasn't trying to tell them how to dress all the time. He wasn't telling them, giving them a bunch of rules and beating them up with scripture but he was taking his time with them and loving them and and helping nurture them into the things of God and letting them come to their scriptural conclusions as they understood them. I don't want anybody changing just so they can fit in or just so they can be a part of the club or, or whatever. That's not a reason to change. The reason to change is the word of God. It is your understanding, having the eyes of your understanding opened. And they thronged Jesus they, to the point he had to go into the mountains apart from them. He had to, he had to go through their midst to escape from them. He, weary, he would, he would lay down at night exhausted. He would have to get into a boat and push off from the shore lest they throng him and push him into the water. That's not the actions of a critical, mean-spirited, most, most of the people whose feet are not in an even place. People don't want to come to church because the moment they come in, they get clobbered for Jesus, slapping people around, nitpicking them until they have perfected the saints down to the three people that you can browbeat. When you're overly critical and when you are more about judgment than you are about mercy, then you focus on outward things. Before you do inward things, and I'm going to tell you something, if you try to enforce outward conformity before a person has truly accepted holiness and has died in repentance and presented their body a living sacrifice, all you're going to do is create corruption. You're going to cover up people's sin. You're going to create an abscess. It's going to grow and grow and poison will grow and they will, they will, cinch their tie and they will part their hair and they will wear their suit and they will live a double life. They will live in profound wickedness and that happens because your foot is not in an even place. The other side of it is just as bad. Anything goes. You don't have to conform to anything. God accepts you as you are. You don't have to change one thing. Just come in and please show up and breathe oxygen and have red blood. That's the only requirements. Ha, <laughs> ha, Well, that's not right either because it's supposed to stand in an even place. We are taught to dress modestly. We are taught to forsake adorning our bodies. We are taught to have distinction in our apparel and in our hair. These are very scriptural things and it is the beauty of holiness. But you can't teach holiness to people that don't have the Holy Ghost, that don't know how to pray, that don't know how to seek the face of God and and love him and feel his mercy and his loving kindness. And I want my feet to stand in that kind of place. There's so much I could say more about this. I'm afraid I've run out of time. But it is this approach that allows a person to rule in Israel. Using that in a modern sense, to rule in your home, to take dominion, to enjoy blessing. I don't want to lose my children because I was so harsh and critical for Jesus that they couldn't survive. I want the house of God to be a place of joy and grace, a place they run to, not run away from. I don't want them to turn 18 and say, This is just a bunch of rules and I see a lot of hypocrisy and I'm out of here. That is not the will of God. At the same time, I don't want them so loose and so given to indulgence, and it's all about fun, without consecration and prayer, that they're living in sin on the left as well as on the right. Overly permissive. They, the Bible says don't use your grace as a cloak for covetousness. But we forsake our sins. We do it willingly. We do it for the cause of Jesus Christ, and we do it with grace, There's a place for firmness and there's a place for mercy at the same time. It's not too different from disciplining your children. When you love your children, you discipline them. Whom the Father loveth, he chasteneth, he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So despise not the chastening of the Lord. When people know that you love them, you can preach the straight word of God to them and they won't be offended at what you say because they know that you love them. We set very firm parameters for our sons but, and and there were some times that we had to be very strong and 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 uh, very very straightforward with our sons. I come from a school where you still spank your kids, and in our crazy world today, nobody does that, and they raise monsters. And if that's not politically correct, well, then I'm sorry. Um, I thank God I had parents that were strong enough to do that. Firm parameters, but it was filled with love. It was filled with grace, and and our sons love God. They they are. Connected to wonderful people, beautiful daughter-in-law and grandbaby, and 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 many great things on the horizon. There is a way to stand in the even place and enjoy the blessing of God. Because I love His house, I want Him to examine me. I want Him to to examine my reins and my heart. I want to wash my hands in innocency, and I want to be in the congregation of the Lord. So I hope this helps you fight for balance, fight for. Fight for standing in the even place and striking the right balance in your walk with God between judgment and mercy. Be gracious to sinners. Be gracious to your brother and sister, but stand firm in what you believe and set strong boundaries and don't let anybody let you compromise, force you to compromise who you are and what you believe in the things of God. I hope it's a blessing. I got to run. We'll talk to you next week. God bless you. God keep you. And God cause his face to shine upon you.